Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we are going to hear from Pastor Dave Carroll in the series, Incomparable. Are you ready to go today? Hey, the message is entitled, Praying Differently. When we talk about incomparable change, and the reason why we're doing this in Colossians is we're looking a lot through the lens of Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, and he was a, a changed man. He's someone who used to stand over um, the death of Christians with approval. He was, in fact, a murderer. He was a person who was against the gospel, and God just did this amazing change in his life. And so this first chapter, we're going to look through his lens at how his life has changed. Last week, we talked about adopting the mindset for those who are in Christ from being a sinner and one saved by grace. Praise God for his grace, right? But we, we don't just stay in that mindset, but we're called in the scriptures, those of us who are in Christ, we're called saints, and so we transition. And then part of that change today is also that we pray differently. That's the title of the message, that we pray differently. Now, this message is a little bit different. This, I would ask you to consider as a deposit into your spiritual walk with Jesus. It's one of those deposit messages that once you grab onto it, once you hold onto it and you know it, um, it comes in handy as you move on in life. And so uh, we don't really realize how different life should be in Christ than before Christ. You know, if we are all honest, we would say, you know what, far too often my life slips back after I've come to know Jesus. It slips back and I look more like the world than I do like Jesus. Anybody else struggle with that problem? Um, Yeah, I struggle with that problem, and probably so do you. But um, we don't really see the big picture. It's kind of like my mission trip to Haiti some years ago. um, Wow, it's approaching a decade now, and it's... Does anybody ever get kind of scared when you start talking about your life in terms of decades? Uh, That's kind of where I'm at right here in this moment, and it's very genuine. I didn't plan that in my message. But uh, some, a decade ago, I went to Haiti, and my first thought was not, oh, wow, I'm so emotional at what I see. And Haiti is widely considered the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and it doesn't have very much of anything. In fact, there's no stop signs, stop lights, anything. I mean, you name it, they don't have it. And... uh, the thought that crossed my mind first was, wow, these people, they just, they just don't know. They don't, they have no clue what's on the other side. I'm thinking if they were to get in a boat and go across the Atlantic Ocean there and hit South Florida, it would be mind blown, mind blown. I mean, you had kids playing in the same water, playing, just having fun, that they would drink, that they relieved themselves in that they would shower in. You had, uh, like I just mentioned, no stop signs, so you had cars going on both sides of the road. It was a true Frogger moment, if you will. And, uh, and then you, you had people like this. This guy was considered one of the smartest guys on the island, everybody in the island. Oh, hey, uh, you need to go meet this guy. He's really smart. Well, he presents me a binder about an inch or two thick, and this binder is of neatly handwritten notes all trying to prove that there is a 13th note that the world has never found in the musical alphabet. Now, for those of you who are saying, I don't know much about the musical alphabet, let's put it in terms of a piano. Uh, There are 12 notes in the musical alphabet. You have five black keys on your piano, if you've ever seen one or you walk by, and then you have seven white keys, which five plus seven equals 12. And he was contending, and he had this, this big mathematical approach that there was a 13th note that the whole entire world was missing. Well, when I got back, I 
I asked a friend who teaches at master's level, I said, have you ever heard about this theory of a 13th note? He said, oh yeah, you know what the guy found? He said, on a stringed instrument, you know, there's this, uh, there's this note, you go to hit one note, and if you were to bend the string, you can bend up to another note, and that space in between that's kind of like off key uh, on any given note, that's what he found. He found the, the, the thing that's off key, kind of like the person who was worshiping next to you today. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, a little bit off key. And so everything was kind of archaic and in the dark ages, and they had no idea um, even what to do with trash. Kids and, and adults would walk through the streets, and when they were done with their bottle of water, they would just go, oh, and throw it over their shoulder. It was awkward as an American because when you finish your drink, you, uh, we would hold it for hours before we finally would give up and go, um, I think we just have to do the program, right, and just drop it on the ground wherever we were, and it would equate to huge mounds of trash. But if they were to go to Florida, what would happen is they would see that in America, there's these things called trash cans, right? And there's a trash collection system. And that water doesn't have to come just from the river. And you don't have to do everything that your life requires in the same puddle of water. That's a great revelation, isn't it? Hey, we can praise God for America for nothing else than our plumbing, right? Um, You can love the plumber next to you. But they would also um, begin to understand that we have stoplights and order and, and uh, stop signs and that you don't have to run across the street and fear for your life because people try to stop for you most of the time, unless it's icy and you're in my car, um, then you slide and hit things unnecessarily. But they would find order and there would be this whole new world. Well, in our prayer life, um, our prayer life before Christ tended to be about one person. And who was that person? Me. It was about me. But we carry this nature in our prayer life, and God wants it to change. And so why should we care so much about prayer? Why should we care about doing it right? Here's the biggest reason I could give you, and you may need to take notes today. And by the way, you may want to flip your program over and follow along and take notes and let God continue to write it on your heart as you study it throughout the week. I encourage you to take notes. It would be a great family devotion time. Um, Here's the biggest reason why we should care about prayer. Are you ready for this? Prayer can do anything God wants to do. Did you hear that? Prayer can do anything God wants to do. What can God do? Anything he wants to that's consistent with his character in the scriptures. God is all powerful. And so if we get this conversation with God going correctly, You know, we see the power of God come down through our lives. And so there's a lot at stake in how we pray because maybe we're trying to pray so that God can do anything we're capable of doing. But that's not what we want to do. And so here's what we have to do. Write this down. It's your first blank. We have to say so long to self-centered prayer. As we approach the scriptures here in Colossians, we are looking from the perspective of Paul and Paul was sitting in jail. This, again, is called a prison epistle. And it's interesting that in Paul's prayer for this church, for the church of the Colossians, right, that he doesn't write the letter that most of us would write. I have to be honest. If I were sitting in jail and writing you today, there would be a lot of uh, temptation in my life to do something a little different than what Paul does. I would probably be sitting in jail thinking about me and how you could help me, but that's not what Paul did. Here's what my prayer would sound like. It would sound like, oh God, um, 
will you help the Colossian church to, um, to get this guy in the cell out of here because he really stinks. He hasn't had a shower in like four months. And every time he raises his arms, his B.O. comes across my nose and it's awful. And you know what, God, when they serve me soup, it's so cold. God, would you use that church to come give me better food? And then I would think, oh God, um, my tunic is getting dirty because I had an accident. It's the only thing I walked in to this prison cell with. Will you send me more clothes? And, and are you catching the drift here? That's what most of our lives are like. And most of our prayer lives, we're sitting in our own prison cells and we're hoping that everyone else can help us. But It's kind of opposite in God's kingdom. This is the incomparable change. It's a part of the incomparable change that happens for a Christian. We turn outward focus. We are no longer self-centered, right? Um, We're not saying, God, uh, my whole prayer life revolves around making my awful life awesome. Wow, we're we're leaving that mentality. We're, We're leaving the idea where prayer is centered around me. And here's what we're saying hello to. We're saying hello to spirit-centered prayer. We're saying hello to spirit-centered prayer. And what is spirit-centered prayer? We'll see it here in the scriptures in a minute, but, (coughs) excuse me. Um, But simply, it's this. It's where we take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, and we put them onto others and pray for them in a God-honoring way. That is spirit-centered prayer. We take our eyes off of ourselves, and we start praying for others. What if 90, 95, 99, or even 100% of your prayer life went towards someone else? That would be called spirit-centered prayer. Now, I know the question in the room because I had the same question when I'm looking at this. Well, what about me? What about me? But think about this concept. It'll blow your mind. If everybody was praying for each other, you would be covered by multiple prayers. Do you get that? Uh, In spirit-centered prayer, if we begin taking our eyes off ourselves and onto each other, what if it was more than just you praying for you and you weren't so much worried about praying for you all the time and you were worried about praying for others, you could have hundreds if not thousands of people praying for you. Wow, spirit-centered prayer. Now you may say, well, what about my needs? Well, Jesus gave us this little tidbit in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, on how to pray for each other, I mean, how to pray for yourself, and it was very simple. He just said, hey, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and he went on to say this, give me enough food to eat today. Hey, will you forgive me as I work on forgiving other people, and will you help me not to fall into temptation and be delivered from evil? And then he pretty much said, amen, right? After that. And and that was the extent that Jesus taught us to pray for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying you can't lift up a need about yourself, but spirit-centered prayer is far more focused on other people and how they relate to God than it is about our issues. So it's with that idea that we enter Colossians chapter 1, and after this transition from a sinner and learning to what it means to walk as a saint with faith, hope, and love— we learn that Epaphras told Paul something about this church. And here's what it says in verse 8, that Epaphras also declared to us, that's Paul and Timothy, also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And so that's where we find that there was a Spirit-centered prayer. And because they said, hey, this group of people over here has found Christ. They are in Christ now. They are now have a bond with Paul who is in jail, who's in the spirit. And so 
he says in verse 9, and this is where you'll want to follow along, for this reason, the reason that we're all in the spirit here, that's what he's saying, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. You see that prayer should be ongoing. It says, and to ask that you may be filled, this is what they're asking, that you may be filled with the, say that word out loud, the what? The knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully, what's that word? Pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all, say this word, patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So, what is spirit-centered prayer? How do we unpack this? We unpack it this way. There are four perspectives that have to change in our prayer life. We can no longer pray in these four perspectives from the old person, the sin nature, the earthly perspective, but we have to come into the spirit nature and let God do his incomparable change, his incomparable work in our hearts as we pray. Do you believe that prayer is worth it? And learning to pray how God wants us to pray is worth it. It absolutely is. And so here's perspective number one. I had you say it out loud. You may want to circle this word in your Bible in verse nine, because it's one of the most important words in the entire book of Colossians. And here it is. It's the word knowledge. How we pray for knowledge has to change. Now, knowledge was the big issue in Colossians. People thought that they could have so much knowledge and that if they just learned everything there was to know, that it would be more important than Christ. And at, at glance, you know, looking back, hindsight, it sounds silly that, oh, well, is there more knowledge than Christ? But they really thought that there was something higher than Christ. And this was the biggest problem. It was called the Colossian heresy. And what it resulted in was a, a weird adaption of rules. People thought, well, I, can, I need to know all the rules so I can please God. And they thus birthed a works-based salvation, right? That people misunderstood Jesus and thought they had to work to please him. And so they would do all those things. And then the other side is they thought that knowledge was immaterial and that what you think and what you know in your brain, it's not flesh and blood. And so what you did in your flesh and blood didn't really matter. So what they did was they would do away with rules. So what was happening as a result of this heresy was they were either getting too strict, trying to hold themselves to to standards that were impossible, or they were not trying to honor God at all, and they were doing whatever they want and thought they could be close to God. And so Paul attacks this idea of knowledge, and he creates a new word in the Greek. And I, I don't share a lot of Greek words with you. I study them. I don't share with them, but this one's important. It's called epignosis. And he added this, this prefix, epi, and what it meant, and you may want to write this in your Bible, it meant true knowledge. And sometimes we just read knowledge and think, well, that's more stuff for me to know. But what Paul was praying is that they would have a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where it starts to affect our prayer life just a little bit. You know, our spiritual ignorance really are at the, at the heart of life. Our spiritual ignorance is where most sorrow comes from. The more we know Christ, the more um, we are fulfilled in him, the less we know of Christ, the, the more we focus on this life and life starts to really stink. You know what I'm saying? It starts to get down. And here's where knowledge changes. 
we constantly in our prayer life are asking God for answers and knowledge to our problems. God, will you show me how this money is going to work out? God, will you give me the answer on how this relationship will be resolved? God, will you, I just need to know how long before I can give up my addiction. Have, have you ever asked God for answers, right? Um, we, we're asking God for answers all the time, and our prayers based around earthly knowledge and things that have to do with our life. But here is what Paul is praying for the people of Colossae. He is praying that they'll have that prayers that mean that they've had enough of not making Christ enough. He is praying prayers saying, I want Jesus and my knowledge of him to consume my entire life. I may not get the answers. I may not get the knowledge in this life of what's happening to me or why my life is the way it is or why I have the problems I have. I don't know if I'll get that answer, but here's what he's saying. It pales in comparison to the knowledge of Christ. And so as you pray for others, more than the answers to their problems, you should pray that they have a knowledge of Jesus Christ at the deepest level possible because it's only Jesus that fulfills. It's only Jesus. So the perspective of our knowledge changes from wanting answers to our life to learning the answer of Jesus Christ. Here's the second area that our perspective should change as we learn prayer, and it's in the area of pleasure. We see it in verse 10 that he prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Now, this is prayer that moves past personal pain and into God's presence. Now, most of our prayers, if we're honest, are layups or even slam dunks. You all know what a slam dunk is? It's when somebody who doesn't have to have any basketball skill whatsoever but had to be gifted with an amazing height in this life can pick up a basketball and doesn't have to shoot it but just walks up next to it and throws the ball down the hoop. It's one of the easiest shots. It's one of the easiest ways to score in all of sports. It's called the slam dunk. And many of us are praying slam dunks. Dave, what do you mean by that? Well, we're praying for our pleasure we're, we're praying, God, hey, will you give me a little bit more money? Can I, will you, God, will you give me a raise, right? Well, most people who stay at a company for any length of time, at least some point, are going to get what? A raise, right? Uh, or how about this? Uh, we pray, God, will you cure me of the cold? I went ahead and Googled this. Um, do you know that the average cold lasts about no longer than two weeks? And so I think that most prayers... That, that are heard around the world, when God is fielding prayers, sound like this. God, will you help me not to be sick today? God, will you help me not to be sick today? God, I have a headache and I have a big presentation at work. I wonder how many times God has to field that one, you know what I'm saying? And, and here it is, when I'm talking about slam dunks, he's created our bodies in such a way that the common cold for 99.99999% of people is done in two weeks. So you're praying for something that he's already allowed for, and yet this dominates our prayer life, um, you know, where we're like, God, um, will you please help Aunt, great Aunt Ruth's beard um, go away because it's embarrassing. Well, just get some nair, you know, that, that'll help. Uh, and so we're praying these slam dunks. You know why? Because we're concerned about our pleasure. But here was Paul sitting in a jail cell he wasn't even praying for his own pleasure. He wasn't praying for their pleasure. You know what he was praying for? He was praying that their lives would bring who? God 
the pleasure. That was the focus and the shift of his prayer life. That is a massive change. That's why the change that Jesus does is incomparable when we stop caring about our own pleasure and start thinking about, hey, what brings God pleasure out of my life? And so here's what we have to do with this idea of pleasure. If we're going to get there, we got to back up from the basket just a little bit, right? And start shooting some three-pointing, three-pointer prayers, some prayers that may need God to really be involved to answer them. Things that might please God if all of a sudden, what if the prayer is, God, I pray for my family that they would begin to please you and that no longer would our family be marked by drunkenness or by affairs, or God, that maybe we might be used to teach others about God's word. And we start getting this mindset that our prayers become wrapped around the idea of pleasing God above pleasing ourselves. This is pretty radical, isn't it? But it's a three-pointer, and it requires God to guide the ball into the hoop because we know that it's bigger than us, that we can't accomplish it in and of ourselves. And when we start backing up and shooting three-pointers, that's where we start asking God to be pleased. And just by that request, I can tell you that he is. He's pleased with a heart who wants to please him. And that perspective of pleasure changes in our prayer where, where we're no longer the focus. Here's the third one. I love this because we've heard many times that we're not supposed to pray for patience. How many of you have heard that before? I don't want to pray for patience because you just might get a situation that requires it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, here, Paul, to my surprise, as I thought about this, in verse 11, he says, I pray that you'd be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all. What's that word? Oh, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. This means that our perspective on timing has to change in our prayer. This is how we pray differently. This is a prayer that asks God to produce character inside of me. And you may want to write this extra word instead of things for me. A prayer that asks God to produce character inside of me and not just things for me. Now, we tend to treat God like a cosmic vending machine, right? Uh, How many of you have ever gone up with your dollar, you've stuck it in, and you're at a vending machine, and you want something sweet to eat, because, you know, nothing healthy is ever in the vending machine, right? I'm pretty sure that even, like, the mixed stuff that they have is all the worst stuff possible. And uh, you get there, you put your dollar in, you're all excited, And then that Reese's peanut butter cup, right, is moving as the circle thing spins. And the Reese's moves, and all of a sudden, you think it's coming down, and it goes, and it kind of gets stuck. How many of you have ever had that happen before at a vending machine? Well, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit. You start beating on the thing, right? Hey, hey, give me my Reese's. I just gave you a dollar. Um, I've even gone so far as to go behind it and ask my boys to get in the front, and I try to tilt it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I need my Reese's. And... And this is what happens in prayer because we walk up, um, you know, with our dollar in hand and we're all happy because, woo I'm about to get something. We put the dollar in and then our perspective changes when we don't get what we want when we want it and the timing isn't right and it changes our de- demeanor. And this is the same thing that happens in our prayer life. We go, God, but I prayed for it. But God, I tried you a little bit and I changed just a little bit. And man, I've been trying to do things your way. Why won't you give me my things now? And we start beating the machine. 
and we start complaining and we get a bad attitude toward God. But when we look here in the scripture, when we're strengthened with God's might, when we pray and ask for strength, what we're really asking for is for a different attitude during the middle of our struggle. And this is what we should be praying for everyone around us. You know, instead of praying for results, we should begin praying for God's character to engulf our life and to become someone different. So here's what strength is in God's timing. It's the time between right now and the answer to your prayer. And then the ability to have joy in between those two times. What am I talking about? You know, there may be someone who has an ex. Maybe you're divorced or maybe there's been some huge problem in your life, or maybe you had an engagement breakup. And in this example, now your prayer typically becomes in that situation, God, I wonder what the future looks like. Is there another person for me? When is that coming? And so for some people, it could be six months. For some people, it could be six years. For other people, it may never come. But the idea that what God wants to start praying for is not necessarily for the answer, but he wants us to start praying for the attitude. Do you hear the difference? Not the answer, but the attitude. This is the perspective that you might have joy no matter the circumstance in between now and the answer to your prayer. This is how timing changes. And now when we pray, we're going, God, I don't really know the timing of the answer to my prayers, but here's what I, what I really want. Will you strengthen me to actually live like a person who knows you during the season, and every day I wake up with joy, even when the world says the circumstance doesn't deserve it. That's a perspective. So knowledge changes. We're not asking for the answers to know everything, but we're asking for a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Pleasure changes. We're no longer trying to pray prayers of our pleasure, but for God's pleasure and for everyone around us, that they would begin to please God. And then our perspective on timing changes, where we're not asking God for things, but we're asking God to do things inside of us in the middle of our storm. And then here's the final, final perspective that changes. It's the perspective of spiritual condition. Now, Paul was kind of mad at this church because they were not teaching the right things. They were kind of getting involved in some bad theology, some bad doctrine. They were adding to the scriptures. They were coming up with their own spiritual answers. And he was a little bit upset with them. But yet at the end of this time of prayer, listen to what he says. He, give, he gives thanks, in verse 12, he gives thanks to the Father. How many of you have ever given thanks to the Father for people that you're kind of upset with, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. But he gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And so the idea of spiritual condition starts to shift in our prayer life. We start to have a reason to be grateful and a reason to be broken. And it doesn't center around earthly things in our prayer life anymore. It centers around spiritual condition. What is this? It's prayer that counters complaining. It counters complaining in this life with gratefulness. You see, I know because Amy and I have been married 16 years that there are days you, you wake up and you look at the people you love and you go, Man, I love you, but I don't like you today, right? Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen? No, nobody else but me, right? I'm just standing up here naked in front of you. <laughs> bearing my soul, and you're going, well, that's, that's terrible, Dave. That's, that's awful. But here's what we have to learn to do. Praise the Lord for other people who are in the faith. 
Even if somebody has crossed you or wronged you, if they're in the faith, you can be grateful to the Lord. Why? Because we are participators in the inheritance of the saints. What is that? All the resource of God. And if you are in Christ today, do you know that every resource available is yours to tackle the sin and the issues in your life? Isn't that a great truth today? And so we can praise God for that spiritual condition rather than complaining to God about all the problems. And then here's the other side of that. While we're grateful for people who have come to know Christ, we're not grateful enough for that because we really don't believe heaven and hell exist and we think it's some pie in the sky thing, but it's really real. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we should be grateful that God has saved the people around us. Even as imperfect as they are, as much of a pain in the butt as they can be sometimes, we should be grateful for it, but we should also be broken in our prayers over people who do not know Jesus, who don't share in that inheritance. And so now the idea of spiritual condition is a perspective that changes. Now when I pray for people, I'm not saying, God, will you smote my boss and make sure he gets fired and move him from a different city, right? Now we're starting to go, wait, what is the spiritual condition? My prayer needs to shift toward this person. You know, I was in a car with a couple young guys a few weeks ago, and we were talking about ISIS. And, uh, hey, what, what, would, what do you want to happen to ISIS? And we started talking, and, you know, I, I have to confess, I was at the front of the line going, oh, man, I, I just hope somebody just drops a load of bombs on those guys and gets rid of them, right? And, and then all of a sudden, as I was talking, I went, wait a second, wait a second. I missed it. I missed it. What's the spiritual condition? What should I really want? I should be going to the Father, asking that he would change their, their life and that they would find Jesus and that they would be forgiven. You see, that is the heartbeat of a Christian. And if we could do that for somebody as evil as ISIS, surely we can begin to pray with that spiritual condition in mind for the people we encounter every day in our lives. And so what's the big take home? I love this one. It's, it's drawn response all day long. What does it all boil down to? Quit pouting, start praying. Quit pouting and start praying. Isn't, aren't most of our prayer lives really just a big pout session? That's really what they've become, haven't they? But we're going to shift into spirit-centered prayer, focusing on others, and we're going to become more intelligible to the Father. Um, you know, I have four boys, and they, they've all gone through this stage when they were really young in life, you know, learning how to talk. And uh, it, it's pretty common in my house where one of them walks up to me and starts going, they start talking, and they're crying, tears running down their face, they're angry, and they'll point, you know, three, four, five years old, and I'm thinking, what are you even, what are you even saying? I don't know. I don't even know what you're saying. And, and they're talking, and they're screaming, and it's unintelligible, and, and finally, I'll just kind of lightly grab a hold of their shoulders. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll grab their face, get them to look me in the eye, and I'll go, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, calm down. Wait, stop, stop. What is it? What's wrong? I can't tie my shoe. I need you to come in the other room. Well, what? That was easy. Why the tears? Why the un- or, or, hey, my brother kicked me in the head. I need you to deal with this, right? Or, or some other statement that goes on in our house. And it's the same thing with our, with our prayer life. If we will boil it down and stop pouting and start getting outward focus with our eyes and praying for each other, All of a sudden, it's like conversation that becomes intelligible to the God we're praying to. And he goes, ah, okay. And remember what we said at the beginning of the message? Prayer can do anything that God wants to do, right? It's that 
powerful. In fact, listen to James chapter 5 and verse 16. This is what the scriptures say. The, prayer, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What is this saying? If you were to, to bring it down, prayer done God's way gets God's results. Prayer done, done God's way gets God's results. And so now we come to a time of response. And during this time, um, I have a challenge for some of you. Um, some of you can think right now, and there are people in your life that desperately need you to pray differently, that need you to pray a different kind of prayer that's not looking for your own answers or for your own pleasure or on your own timing, but one that is truly spirit-centered. And maybe today God needs to put in your life three people that you're gonna pray differently for. Instead of praying that God fixes your spouse, what if you pray that they have a true knowledge of Jesus Christ and let that work? Maybe there's a situation you're afraid to take a step of obedience and, or you know someone and you see their life and you're going, oh, why, why won't they just take this step? You know, it's time to start spirit-centering our prayer and praying for those people that they would know God's timing and that their life would, be, would produce God's character. This... Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Please take just a moment to reflect on today's sermon. Thanks again for listening, and for more information, visit our website at elevationbillings.com.